You are listening to the Catholic Christianity Podcast with Deacon Peter Pelican. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome to Catholic Christianity. If you haven't already, we would love it if you liked and subscribed, followed our channels. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, on our website at catholicchristianity.org and on your favorite podcast platform. If you've been following this podcast, you'll know that we've been looking at reasons to believe. We've examined logical reasons to believe in God. We've looked at reasons to trust the Bible and specifically the gospel. We've looked at the overarching message of the Bible. If the Bible is God's word to us, then what is God saying to us? We've looked at reasons to believe in the resurrection of Jesus. And in our last episode, we examined this question of if God is, exists, if God is all-powerful, if God is loving, why is there the human experience of suffering? Why doesn't God take away the pain and suffering? Now, we've been coming at these questions from the perspective of the Catholic Church or the Christian tradition, more broadly speaking. But this raises a question as well of what about other religions? What do other religions say about these kinds of questions? A quick Google search of religions in the world today shows that around 80% of the world is religious, but about 31% claim to be Christian, identify as Christian, about 24.9% identify as, as Muslim, about 15.1% identify as Hindu, about 6.6% identify as Buddhist, and then there's a range of, uh, a range of other religions um, that have much lower uh, percentages. So the big four world religions are Christianity, Islam, Buddhism, and Hinduism. Now one of the challenges with world religions is that each religion claims things that differ from the other. Christianity says that things like, well, Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one comes to God except through me. Now in a tolerant and pluralistic world, these kind of truth claims can sound very offensive, arrogant, and discriminatory. What we want to examine today is, are there reasons to be Catholic and not other religions? But we also want to look at what other, you know, do other religions have truth claims? And how should we engage as Catholics from a Catholic position in dialogue with other religions? Should there be an us and them? You believe this, I believe that, so we're different and we're separated. In order to have this conversation, it's important to make one distinction before we even begin. People are to be accepted and loved no matter what they think and what they believe and what their ideas are. Ideas and beliefs are to be critiqued and challenged. We need to look at, is this a good idea or not? Is this concept true or not? And we have to separate a person's belief from who they are. We may reject a belief or an idea, but we don't reject people. And that means then that when we have a discussion about beliefs, we recognize that if we are saying we disagree with a perspective, we can still care for and love the person. And I hope if you're listening to this and you're listening to this podcast series and I say things that you disagree with, uh, you, you might even outright reject, you can still care for me and care for my own interests as a human being, even if you disagree with me. 
And that concept is essential for any meaningful discussion. We need to be able to challenge ideas and accept the person and love the person who proposes those ideas. So with that said, in this talk, we're going to look at do religions all have truth claims and claim exclusive truth? Secondly, what are Catholic approaches to interreligious dialogue? And thirdly, what are the reasons to be Catholic and not one of the other religions? Now, obviously, that's going to be, uh, mean that I'm going to say things that are controversial if you're listening to this from the perspective of another religion. And as I say, I invite you to listen. You can reject my ideas. Uh, hopefully, you won't reject me as a person. And if you've got an, a counter perspective, by all means, feel free to comment, uh, feel free to give feedback and I invite you into that dialogue. So, here we go. Do religions have truth claims? Do ever, does all these, the big four, if we limit our conversation to those, the main four religions in the world today, do they all claim the truth? The short answer to that question is yes, they do. Christianity, as I've mentioned already, states that, that claims the truth. Jesus himself claims to be the truth, not just say the truth, but be the truth, be the way, and be the life. Muslims are not dissimilar. If you look at how Islam um, was founded, how this concept, how this the origins of the belief system, you'll see that Muhammad took some of Christianity, some of the Old Testament, some of the Gospels and the Psalms, uh, but reinterpreted them and claimed to have a new revelation that was more authoritative because it was the final revelation of God to Muhammad. And this new interpretation rejected the divinity of Jesus and rejected other things about the Christian faith. And so Islam, in its very um, beginnings, claimed an exclusive truth. And the Quran claims to be a higher truth than previous religious documents. So Christianity claims truth, Islam claims truth. Now when you look at Buddhism and Hinduism, you see something similar but slightly different. In Hinduism, uh, Hinduism allows you to practice any religion as long as it does not contradict the teachings of the Hindu scriptures. And so that's kind of like saying, well, you can be a, a Christian Hindu as long as you still believe in reincarnation. And of course, if you believe in reincarnation, then you don't sit within the Christian tradition. And so it sounds like it's being open to any belief, but it, in fact, it's not. Finally, Buddhism Similar to Islam, if you look at its origins and you look at where the concept of Buddhism came from, you find that Buddha rejected Hindu beliefs in order to develop a new path of enlightenment, the recognition that life is suffering and the path out of that suffering. So what we find is that all four of the, the largest world religions claim the truth. And this means that these ideas are going to clash. They're going to rub up against each other and they can't all be true because of the nature of truth. So, with that said, we're recognizing straight up that there's going to be tensions between religious beliefs, not necessarily religious people. So from a Catholic perspective, what are Catholic approaches to other religions? Well, first of all, in the Christian tradition, we're called to love. Jesus says, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. So before we engage from a Christian perspective with anyone who believes something different from us, our goal, our agenda is love. And that means building relationship. It means respect. It means dignity. It means caring for people and understanding them rather than correcting them. 
Jesus did not say, correct your neighbor as yourself. He said, love your neighbor as yourself. So love is our starting point. And that's a crucial thing. As we examine someone's belief, we make sure that we, if we reject their belief, that we love the person. Now, Pope Francis talks about the need for interreligious dialogue. And not only does he talk about it as a, something to be encouraged, but he goes as far as saying that Christians are even obligated to engage in interreligious dialogue. In Evangelii Gaudium, his apostolic exhortation in Article 250, he says, an attitude of openness in truth and in love must characterize the dialogue with the followers of non-Christian religions in spite of various obstacles and difficulties, especially forms of fundamentalism on both sides. Interreligious dialogue is a necessary condition for world peace, and so it is a duty for Christians as well as other religious communities. So the Pope tells us that it's actually a duty to engage in interreligious dialogue and therefore engage with people who believe something different from ourselves. Now, when he talks about dialogue, the Pope is keen to point out that he's not, what he's saying is to engage in an honest and open and real and robust dialogue, not just a, a dumbing down of all that we believe. He says, in this dialogue, ever-friendly and sincere attention must always be paid to the essential bond between dialogue and proclamation, which leads the church to maintain and intensify her relationship with non-Christians. A facile syncretism would ultimately be a totalitarian gesture on the part of those who would ignore greater values of which they are not the masters. Now, I'll leave you with one more quote from Pope Francis because it's just such inspiring stuff on how to relate and the encouragement to relate to those who believe different things to us. He says, True openness involves remaining steadfast in one's deepest convictions, clear and joyful in one's own identity, while at the same time being open to understanding those of the other party and knowing that dialogue can enrich each side. So he's calling us to know our faith and engage in dialogue with those who might believe something different, but recognizing that the dialogue can enrich each side. Now that's an important point for us because what you'll see in the Catholic tradition specifically, in amongst all the Christian traditions, is that in the Catholic tradition we recognize that God is the cause of all that is true, good, and beautiful. And that means that from a Catholic perspective, when we examine another religion, we don't just simply disagree with a point and therefore wipe out the whole concept, the whole belief system. It means that we can examine different religions that are different to our own, but find all that is true, good, and beautiful in those religions and recognize that those aspects, which are true, good, and beautiful, of those religions actually come from God because all that is true, good, and beautiful come from God. And that means that when we approach other religions, our starting assumption is that we're gonna discover God's goodness, God's truth, and God's beauty in these different perspectives. The question is to decipher that and to find that, reject those things that aren't true, that aren't beautiful, and that aren't good, and embrace those things that are. So it means that we come to this conversation recognizing that we can learn something of God from someone else's experience of God and someone else's understanding of God. Now, if that's rattling you a little bit, particularly if you're a Catholic, think about 
St. Thomas Aquinas. Uh, he was chastised by other theologians for his integration of Aristotle. Aristotle, of course, was pre-Christian and so wasn't part of the Christian tradition per se. And, and Aquinas was able to read Aristotle and integrate Aristotle's philosophical insights into his theology. And this is the same thing that we do when we examine other religions. We take what is true, good and beautiful and we integrate it and we reject those things that are not. So, having said that, we now get to point three, why be Catholic and not any other religion? Now, if you want just a really simple answer to that question, it's not overly compelling, but it's one perspective that's short and sweet, that is that every other religion rejects the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So if you can prove the resurrection of Jesus, you can prove a whole uh, a problem, an Achilles heel in every other belief system. So if you want the short answer, you can just go to episode six, why did Jesus rise from the dead? There it is, therefore all other religions um, have a problem. But of course that's not nearly rigorous enough and not nearly compelling, particularly to someone who may be from a different belief system. So what are other reasons why someone might be Catholic and not Buddhist, Hindu, or Muslim. Well, a way to examine these religions, if you don't have a framework, then it's just, well, this idea, that idea, whatever. But a framework that's useful for uh, exploring religion, one that resonates with me, is the, the framework of origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. That's to say that every religion should answer the question of origin, where did we come from, meaning, why am I here, morality, how should I live, and destiny, where am I going, what happens after death. So what we're going to do in the next 10 minutes or so is very, very quickly, and I can't possibly do this justice in the time that we have in this talk, but I'm going to examine the four big religions in light of origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. Because what we find is when we use that framework, it leads us to a logical outcome. Let's take Buddhism and Hinduism. Both Buddhism and Hinduism give us some insight into morality. How should we live? They, the concept of karma. They also give us a, 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 an insight into meaning while we're here, particularly Buddhism in terms of its um, the, the desire for enlightenment and getting away from the human experience of suffering. And Hinduism and Buddhism both answer the question of where we're going, and they do that in terms of both reincarnation and enlightenment. Where both Buddhism and Hinduism struggle with our matrix is on the question of origin. Because Buddhism and Hinduism promote a God that is not distinct from the universe, then we can't simply say that we come from God, God created the world, God created the universe. And so the question of origin is not adequately answered in Buddhism and Hinduism. Now, that creates a problem when you're coming at Buddhism and Hinduism from this perspective. And I have to say that, you know, this matrix that I'm using of origin, meaning, morality and destiny is very much one that sits within, you know, a Western intellectual tradition. And so people that aren't part of that tradition don't necessarily think the same way. And we find this at the very beginning of the Hindu scriptures. There's a creation hymn, and it says this, Whence this creation has arisen, perhaps it has formed itself, or perhaps it did not. The one who looks down on it in the highest heaven, only he knows, or perhaps 
he does not know. Now, of course, from the, the Western intellectual tradition, it's almost, um, the way that it's written is, is you know, it's, it's kind of humorous, right? It's sort of, he might know, he might not, it might have formed itself, it might not have. And so we can sort of sit back and look at the way that it dismisses that larger question. But what it indicates as well is that for some religions and some ways of thinking that this question of origin is not nearly as important as it might be for those in the Western intellectual tradition. So what we find is that Hinduism and Buddhism do not adequately answer the question of origin. Now let's move to Islam and Christianity. Islam certainly does provide a compelling answer to those four questions. Origin. In Islam, God created the heavens and the earth. Meaning, the meaning of life in Islam is the submission to the will of God. It's literally what Islam means, is to submit to the will of God. Morality is laid out very clear in the five obligations of Islam in terms of how should we live. And there's this concept of where are we going, which is paradise in Islam. Now, at this point, you think, okay, we've got compelling answers in Islam, and then we've got compelling answers in Christianity. How would we pick between Islam and Christianity on this matrix? Well, there are a number of ways that you could go about this, and we could look at the pathway to salvation in Islam compared with the pathway to salvation in Christianity, um, what it produces. But one of the more fascinating approaches, which I think is worth sharing here, is this implication and a difference between Christianity and Islam about the identity of God. When I say identity of God, both religions refer back to the God of Abraham, but the, the, uh, the explicit distinction between Islam and Christianity is in Christianity we have the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In Islam, God is one. Why would we believe in a Trinitarian view of God as opposed to the idea that God is one? Well, the answer to that question has to do with the concept of love. Both Christianity and Islam recognize that God is loving. Now, what is love? Love is to will the good of the other. If I think about it in the family context, for me to love my wife means that I have to will her good. For me to love my children means that I have to love, uh, will the good of my children. Now, the problem with God as loving but as one is that God, by who God is, exists beyond time and space, is here before the creation of the universe, and therefore has to exist before time, before space. And if God is loving, then how can God be loving if there is nothing in this world, there's nothing in time and space, there's nothing other than God? It's not possible for God to be loving, and so therefore God is dependent on creation in order to be loving. Now that's a philosophical problem and a theological problem for Islam. How is a loving God who is one loving before the creation of the universe? In the Christian tradition, we answer that quite simply. Well, God is Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so because there's a family of God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, there's perfect love within that Trinity. So God the Father is willing the good of God the Son who is willing the good of God the Holy Spirit, who's willing the good of God the Father, and so there's reciprocal love within the Trinity, and therefore the Trinitarian God is not dependent on creation for God's nature. Now, 
that's an interesting uh, problem for Islam. And if you're Muslim and you're listening to this and you've got an answer to that problem, I would love to hear it. Feel free to make contact or pop something in the comment bank or pop us an email. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. But that is one of the uh, most distinctive reasons why someone logically should believe in a Trinitarian God and not a God that is just God is one. So what we find is when we examine religions from the lens of origin, meaning, morality and destiny, we quickly see that Buddhism and Hinduism don't answer the question of origin. It doesn't mean they don't have other insights that are worth listening to, but that it's a problem for those two belief systems. And we find that Islam and Christianity stand up as the ones that answer those four questions adequately, but we find that theological and philosophical problem with a God who is not Trinitarian for Islam. So, what we see then is that there are sound reasons to be Christian. There are solid logical reasons, and when we examine them against this matrix of origin, meaning, morality, and destiny, and we compare those religions, that Christianity can emerge, particularly in the, in the um, Western intellectual tradition, as one that makes good, sound, logical, and historical sense. In summary today, we've tried to cover a lot in a very short time. We've looked at the fact that every religion makes truth claims. We've looked at the fact that in the Catholic tradition, we are obliged to engage in religious dialogue and that it's essential for world peace and that as Catholics, we come at this dialogue looking for the true good and beautiful in all religions, in all ways of life and recognizing that wherever there is truth, wherever there is goodness, and wherever there is beauty, there are the hands of God. There are the hallmarks of God. And that means that we are open, and we can learn, and we can understand, and we can integrate those things that are true, good, and beautiful. And finally, we examine those four religions, Christianity, Islam, Buddhism, and Hinduism, in light of the questions of origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. And we found that Christianity provides us with a compelling, logical, reasonable, and historical uh, account of religious belief. As you know, if you've been listening to other talks, I like to give a challenge at the end of every one of these talks. So here are three challenges in light of our discussion around Catholicism amongst other religions. First of all, number one, build a relationship with someone of a different religion to you. Have a discussion with them Grow deeper in your understanding of them as a person and also their belief system and begin your own interreligious dialogue grounded in love. Number two, always recognize the distinction between a person and what they believe. By all means, address and challenge and debate ideas. Always love the person. Number three, if you're scared about having a religious dialogue because they might ask you questions about your own faith that you may not be able to answer, go and do the work. Get to know your own faith so that you are confident and able to engage in dialogue. But I would even say, don't stress too much because in your interreligious dialogue, questions will arise and that will inspire you to go and do some homework and find answers to those questions. But that, that third point is get to know your own faith better. So get to know someone 
who, has, who believes is part of a different religion and build a relationship with them. Number two, make that clear distinction between that person and their belief system. And number three, get to know your own faith better so that you can more adequately dialogue with others. Hope you've enjoyed this presentation. Hope you've enjoyed series one on reasons to believe. We'll be back with series two early in the new year. Uh, feel free to comment, uh, like and subscribe on our various platforms. If you have things you would like us to address, by all means, pop a comment or an email so that we can look to cover those topics in our second series. May God bless you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.